everyone and welcome to our show Telebuddies. I'm Michael Clancy and joining me on this adventure into the small screen is co-host Eric Saris. We're here to share our favourite television and streaming series with you, talk about what makes them great and share some interesting stories along the way. This episode we dive into the Netflix original series Master of None, Aziz Ansari's take on the young professional who lives in New York genre. And Eric, as a young professional who lives in New York yourself, I can only imagine that this is like holding up a mirror into your exciting life. Oh, totally. You know, I mean, I, people have always told me that I look a lot like Aziz Ansari, so, um, <laughs> you know, this this definitely works well for me. <laughs> no, for those of you who don't know who I look like, I do not look anything like uh, Mr. Ansari. No, he is much more handsome than I am. So. Oh, don't sell yourself <laughs> short there, Eric. Uh, well, thanks for the support, Michael. <laughs> but, yeah, as far as, like, a, a professional living in New York, I've got to say... From shows like Seinfeld to Friends to How I Met Your Mother, um, you know, you get you get a lot of different takes on the young professional living in this crazy city where all the arts artists come together. So, uh, there, having been here, this is my sixth year in the city. You definitely see the things like okay, well, aside from this clearly being shot on an LA soundstage with all LA act, uh, extras, because you can tell by what they're wearing. Uh, you know, a lot of these things just don't fit with the city. But I definitely feel the opposite with Master of None. I think they capture it really well, the experiences of a millennial trying to make it in this crazy town. And just the, you know, there's so many shots through the different episodes of them just walking around the city, even if they're not trying to do something specific that, like, yep, I've seen that. Oh, yeah, just kind of smelled that, I think, the other day. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, I, say, I say they do a really good job on that. That's awesome. I'm really looking forward to talking about, to you about this a bit more. This is a show that had I, I've just kind of rewatched some of the the key episodes from the season for a second time, and you know a lot a, a surprising amount of depth that I wasn't really expecting from it, and uh, it really kind of uh, sucked me into it. So I'm looking forward to to speaking to you more about that, and, and maybe getting a little bit more of your your um, take on it as a as a New Yorker. I think you'll you'll perhaps relate to the show more than I can, although I. I think there are universal things to this this show as well, and I, you know we'll get into that in all good time. But uh, before we do that, what, what what have you been watching this week? As usual, watching lots of things. Uh, I think it'd be appropriate for this episode. I'm not sure if I'll ever get an opportunity to mention this show again, but due to the presence of great performance by Eric Wareheim as well as directing several episodes of Master of None. I am always into watching clips, if not entire episodes, of the Tim and Eric awesome show, Great Job. And that is something I get a weekly dose of, even if it's just going on YouTube or AdultSwim.com and watching clips. Uh, So, yeah. um, In fact, just yesterday, last night, I sat down and just blasted through, I don't know, like three clips from that show, about four from Dr. Steve Brule, just to have a good laugh and uh, enjoy some, (laughs) you know... I don't know if you can say the term good old-fashioned anti-humor, but, uh, you know, I think that really belongs more to Monty Python uh, than these guys. But, yeah, I don't know. Michael, are you familiar with the show? Does it does it made it across the pond? No, it, it, it has almost no presence in, in the UK, probably outside of, you know, university dorm rooms of people that have, have found it. I I know it only, only by name from listening to other podcasts, really. I hear people talking about it and it being a great influence on on uh, a lot of comedians' works. Can you... Can you you uh, 
like I don't want to put you on the spot, but if you can, you know, sell it to me in a in a in a couple of a couple of lines, you know, I I don't even know, you know, are we talking sketch sketch show or? Um, yes, it it is a sketch show um, for sure. It's definitely uh, geared to a very specific audience. It, um, you know, without getting too, <laughs> it airs at you know around like in the early a.m. hours on Adult Swim. So uh, yeah, much more for the stay-at-home types, not the really go-out <laughs> people that watch this show. Not to say that you know everyone can definitely enjoy it, but it's it's steeped in anti-humor, and for those that that don't really know the technical term, which is probably myself included, but it's not about, it's about making something funny, but through the, through uncomfort and confusion, as far as I can tell. They do these sketches, but they, but they are constantly, it's like not even breaking the fourth wall. There is, there is no fourth wall that exists. It's just, sometimes they are interacting with the audience by like holding a gaze for just like a little too long or like just saying, (laughs) Some random thing. I mean, they have a wonderful special effects team. Uh, and by that, I mean everything looks like a 1980s infomercial from you know, late night programming, which is totally the vibe they're going for and nailing it. And uh, yeah, it, it's kind of like Monty Python, where you get these really ludicrous, absurd sketches, including you know some animations as well. Um, but definitely modernized to the 21st century. I mean, I watch a lot of it on my computer because, like, as I said, I go on YouTube and watch a lot of clips or on AdultSwim.com. And they do a lot of things that mess with you. Like, if you were having a video, like, buffering, trying to load, like, they they can do, like, these skips and things like that that they've made into their episode. And, uh, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that it's influenced a lot of people. One of their uh, main recurring characters is Dr. Stephen Brule, played by John C. Riley of, you know, such fame as Chicago and the hours, as well as his appearance in guardians of the galaxy. But he, I don't know, man, I am convinced that he loves this character of Dr. Steve rule more than anything he has ever done. <laughs> Cause if you don't know who I'm talking about, anyone listening to this, just go to YouTube, Dr. Steve rule, sweet berry wine. And you're welcome. All right. That's going to be my first, uh, port recall once we're done with this episode. All right. Well, good. <laughs> I've, I've got a curiosity of it. You know, I've only heard people speak of it in a positive light and yeah, I, I need, I need myself a little 20 minute show to, 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 to fall back on at the moment to kind of fill the gaps in my day. So I'll, I'll definitely pick that one up. Yeah. And I think it'll be even more like, I believe there's episodes are only like 10 to 11 minutes. So it's oh, great. really short ones, but yeah, it'll give you hours of thinking material. <laughs> I could say that, and right. uh, and yeah, I, uh, there has been positive press, but there's also just some people that don't know what to make of it. Uh, you know, maybe um, I don't want to get like too in depth there, but there's just one interview I remember where someone was interviewing John C. Riley about his spinoff show with Doctor Steve Rule of Check It Out, and John C. Riley during the entire interview was very adamant to the reporter that Doctor Stephen Brule is a real person and that he is working with him. <laughs> and he's the producer for the vehicle of Dr. Brule. And you can tell this interviewer is not, like, just doesn't know what to make of, of this situation because he's so earnest in, in saying that's a different person. And you can tell that they really just love messing with people. And, it, and it, it's very entertaining, at least to me. That's awesome. Yeah, no, I, I definitely want to check that. I've heard lots of great things. What are you? What have you been up to lately? What have you been watching? Well, I I want to kind of use this um, this podcast as kind of an ex- an excuse for me to like dive into shows that I haven't had a chance to watch yet. They've kind of been I've been meaning to. So like I, I want to like jump in on shows that um, 
I've heard great things about um, and maybe just watch the pilot episode and then and then see where I go from that so with that in mind I, I and to go back you know to go back to you in episode one our Stranger Things episode uh, I, I, I watched the pilot of Westworld um, a couple of night a couple of nights ago um, and you know I, I, I talked about it last episode. You know, I'm more of a, a 20 minute show guy. Uh, I'm more of you know something that's on the lighter side of things. It took me a long time to get into things like Breaking Bad, um, The Sopranos. As much as I love it, I'm kind of stalled at the, the at the end of season five, and like I, I don't know if I'm ever going to get to the end <laughs> of it. Like it's it's hard for me to make that commitment. Um, but with so like when when I'm watching something like this, I'm I'm really looking at is it the sort of thing that's going to be kind of a slow burner? Is it going to be something that hooks me from the beginning? Is it something that I, I I'm maybe not going to revisit past the the first episode? Um, but it's I I I got to say I was hooked. I was hooked from the from the 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 opening moments really, and from the, the certainly the first like ten fifteen minute salvo where you're introduced to James Marsden and uh, Evan Rachel Wood's character. Um, you know you're introduced to them, and you know I don't want to go into spoilers on that. You know we'll save that for when we do our inevitable uh, Westworld episode. But you know, kind of kind of catches you off guard in the first fifteen minutes, and then you're jumped into this world, and you have this uh, theme park attraction essentially, where where real humans are going to interact with these um, with these robotic characters in this uh, Western civilization, and there's different hosts that they can kind of latch onto, and different stories that they can pick up. You know, in the sort of um, RPG, Skyrim, Fable kind of way from the video game world, and yeah, I was just I was really really intrigued. I mean, I like I, I haven't seen the original film that Westworld was based on, but um, yeah, I was I, I was kind of hooked from the very beginning. I think they've they've done a, a really good job of kind of setting up this intriguing world with intriguing possibilities you know something's not quite right there's there's problems there if you have a, a a basic understanding of how the film of westworld goes i think you know how how the series is going to unfold certainly and you know only on episode one i'm sure there are hints that we're getting that way but uh no i liked it i i, I thought it was really intriguing and you know you've got ed harris riding around as the man in black you got anthony hopkins as this kind of eccentric um aging genius who kind of set up the park you've got jeffrey wright who's kind of pulling all of the strings um, and, and, and trying to balance everything. And yeah, I, I liked every aspect of it, to be honest. I liked the, the kind of lesser characters who are worried about marketing and script writing of the stories and, and you know, concerned about updates and bringing in customers. And yeah, I, I thought all of that was excellent. So yeah, really, really, really intrigued to see where it's going from there. Um, and, and like I say, it's difficult for me to invest in these series because, you know, time is limited, you know, there's only so many hours in the day. But this is one that um, I think I'm probably going to pick up and, and, and follow now. Uh, maybe at the expense of Walking Dead, maybe Walking Dead's going to get pushed out of the push to the side. And I'm going to I'm going to keep on going with Westworld for the time being anyway. Hey, Michael, you know, you can always sleep when you are dead. I say continue going forward with both. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, the, the, uh, well, the thing about Walking Dead is I'm so invested now, like I, I can't stop now. But that's that's a story for another time. Yeah, yeah, I, I yeah. don't even know if I, that'll definitely be one. That's that's maybe the tangent for another time. But I don't know if I need to know how the Walking Dead ends. I think I, mm-hmm. I think we have a sense of where it's going. But who knows? Well, and they've got me for now. I like Jeffrey Dean Morgan. But anyway, getting getting wildly <laughs> off topic on that. Anyway, um, these are all episodes for. These are, this is all material for other episodes. I suppose we should uh, move on. Drag me out of this uh, 
this loop that I seem to have stuck myself in here, Eric. We're going to move on to our, our main yeah. our main focus, Master of None. Oh, fuck, fuck. What? What, what happened? Um, the condom broke. But you didn't finish, right? It's fine. Yeah, but there's those little guys that come out before the big party, you know? I want to get the pill. Me and uh, this young lady were... Uh, yep, there it is. Oh, no, no. Please, I, I got it. My treat. We need you to do an accent. You mean like an Indian accent? You know, Ben Kingsley did an accent in Gandhi and he won the Oscar for it, so... But he didn't win the Oscar just for doing the accent. I mean, it wasn't an Oscar for best Indian accent. You see the social network? The Indian guy is a white guy. No, no, I read that he's 116th Indian. Who cares? If you go back far enough, we're all 116th something. I'm probably 116th black. You think they're gonna let me play Blade? Whoever you're dating now at this stage, it could be who you end up with. It's a big decision. It's hard. Now, how many women did you meet before you decided on mom? Two. Two? That's it? What was wrong with the first lady? It's a little bit too tall. As soon as he stood up, I was like, oh, no. You have to learn to make decisions, man. You want kids? Part of me is like, yeah, it'd be an amazing experience. Black lady. Chinese man. Hey, hey, hey. Don't, don't yell out people's ethnicities. things that guys have no clue about that are so annoying. Like what? So you remember when we went to brunch and we both Instagrammed a picture of that frittata? Ooh, that frittata was fluffy as hell. What are your comments? Yumtown. Population biz. Check mine out. I want to fuck your face. When you close your eyes, do you see Dev and Rachel in a cozy house with little devs running around? I just see black. This is Dev. We're seeing each other. You seem very nice. I'll admit, I was a little worried. Some of my friends have racist grandmas. Oh, I see. You assumed I was a racist just because I'm old. Well, now the tables have turned. I'm sorry. So, a Netflix original series. This is our, our second um, dalliance into the world of Netflix original series after Stranger Things. A very different beast um, from that show, certainly. It was... Uh, Released November 6th, 2015 on Netflix. Obviously, all 10 episodes from season one were available all at once. Created and written by Aziz Ansari, who who stars in the show as well, and also Alan Yang, who was his writing partner on the show. It kind of, on the strictest sense, it's a comedy, but certainly elements of drama in it as well. Um, something a little bit different, which I think we've come to expect from Netflix original series, Eric. Yeah, definitely, and... Uh... I like how you mentioned the comedy with the drama undertone, and uh, like our last episode, we talked about Rick and Morty. That's clearly a comedy. I mean, they have dark themes, they have adult themes, but it's a comedy where you kind of slow things down when you get to Master of None, and I don't know if this this term is official, but I don't know if you've heard the word tossed around called dramedy, and it, it makes me think a lot of that, where you have you know either like the genre of drama or the drama of comedy, but there's enough of the other elements that it's almost this hybrid. And it's not even the same as like a tragic comedy. There's, mm. It's not like that. Although you could make a case for the entire series, uh, season one of Master of None for uh, basically being a tragic comedy. It, it almost it almost takes the turn of a tragedy, but it does end in a very you know uplifting, hopeful way. But I would argue more for a real seamless blend because you, you have these great jokes throughout it. It has kind of a casual tone that a comedy would have, but every episode deals with you know important topics, heavy topics from parenting to immigration to you know just trying to make it as a job to dating in the you know modern world. There's these are important things that 
I don't know, people like watching to get entertainment, but also to get advice from, I think. Definitely. Um, it's it's very sharp. It's it's very crisp. It's got a very kind of observational writing. I think, you know, it's it's almost one of these kind of semi-autobiographical sitcoms that, yeah. that you know, to an extent, Seinfeld, which obviously a very different format or in a very different style, but maybe maybe closer to something like Louis, um, which, which I've only seen very limited episodes of, but... Yeah, I feel like it sits in. It kind of sits in between those two shows, because yeah. you you got a little, you got a much darker tone with Louis. Um, and again, this is the show Louis, not his newest one, Horace and Pete, which is incredibly dark, and we can talk about that another time. But uh, with Louis, it, it's darker than Seinfeld for sure. But in Seinfeld, I feel it capitalizes on that group dynamic that you see in Friends and How I Met Your Mother and Always Sunny in Philadelphia and shows like that. And that's something that I think Master of None really splits the difference between those. Like, every episode is going to be about Aziz, uh, but he has a diverse group of friends, and it's not like we're always going to hang out with the same main character in three to four auxiliaries. It's, oh, th- this episode he's going on an adventure with his buddy Brian. You know, the next episode he's, uh, you know, going out with Arnold. It's it's cool how they kind of have this rotating uh, cast of characters, and there's clearly, like, the core group of the four of them, but you also get his work buddy Benjamin, played by the wonderful H. John Benjamin, and it's it's nice to kind of have this. It's not it doesn't really fit into the the Seinfeld model, nor does it fit into the solo vehicle model of like a Louis. Hmm. Um, it's I think he's doing a really great job balancing those two genres or those two styles, I guess, of approaching the young professional living in New York genre. Yeah, and and like it does balance those styles, and it took me a little while. Like, first time round, trying to figure out just what kind of show it was. And, like, you mentioned those two styles, but there's kind of a third style that it kind of dabbled with as well, which kind of worried me when it first introduced, and I'm glad they didn't explore it too far. But it's, like, episode three, four, five or something where he's working on his movie, which is kind of recurring throughout the season. And he befriends the actor, the, the British actor, Colin Salmon, who, who's playing a part in the movie, but he's also playing himself within the show. And, like, it, for parts of that, it kind of touches on almost that kind of mockumentary style that we see in something like Ricky Gervais's Extras, where you get these celebrities kind of sending up, um, parodying themselves. You know, here Colin Salmon is uh, uh, kind of uh, obsessed with his cat, and he likes building these um, these domino, these extreme, like, dominoes things. And, and like, I... I, I I, I think it's good. I like. I, I like seeing it. I, I think it's funny. I think Extras is actually fantastic, and it might actually be Ricky Gervais's best TV series. But um, you know, when they started bringing it up in this about halfway through, I was like, "Oh, I, I don't want to see too much of this." And thankfully, they kind of limit it to just one episode. But yeah, it's kind of an amalgamation of all of those those things. And I, I feel like this show has a almost vignette style to it, where mm-hmm. it's you have these kind of overarching plots of. He's working on, as he calls, the Black Virus movie, and there's, there's <laughs> yeah. you know, great relationship with Rachel, played by Noelle Wells, that I'm sure we're going to talk a lot about. Yes, I want to talk about that a lot, but yeah, with those two kind of running themes throughout, uh, it it does give season one a little bit of a structure, but I think the the real heart of the show lies in from episode to episode, just whatever that topic is mm. is going on, and. Yeah, uh, once they started doing that whole parodying with, you know, the actor, like, playing himself, um, and Colin does a wonderful job, I was also a little worried, like, oh, is it going to turn into one of these? But, no, the show, Master of None, stays true to its original motive, where it's like, 
yes, this is like the little bit of the through plot that's sprinkled throughout, you know, several, if not all the episodes. But again, this, you know, this episode was a vignette. This was like just an instance that happened in Dev's life. He just happened to go interact with this eccentric actor who um, he's trying to, you know, learn as much as he can from. But it reflects like the real confusions and frustrations of any of us, I think, when we finally get to work with or meet one of our idols in whatever field that we're passionate about, that it's it's uh, it's a bit of a shock one way <laughs> yeah. or the other, whether they're exactly the way you imagine them or completely different or anywhere in between. I think just when you finally meet that, you know, meet them in person, it, it's really, uh, it can go, it can go into weird places such as cat dominoes, but I, I love that gag, but I, uh, like you, I'm glad that they didn't make it a focus. And I think it's something that the show does really well with just dancing around uh, these kind of vignettes without getting too steeped in they don't they don't take a joke ever to a point where it becomes hackneyed or like all right let's move on it's always ends when it's supposed to end and we and we move on they infected they're close again <laughs> just kidding you're safe for craft services call in sam hi dev I'm, I'm a huge fan oh good to see you charging up for the scene Watch the dairy there. It's not good for the voice. Uh-oh. Well, this is my second one. <laughs> uh, I'm excited for the scene today. As am I. But, of course, today is also the anniversary of the disappearance of my cat, Shakespeare. So, there's a bit of dark cloud above us today. Oh. Um, sorry to hear that. What happened? Took him to the Swiss premiere of Alien vs. Predator. We were enjoying a picnic by Lake Geneva when an owl came. Snatched Shakespeare with his talents. They flew off. We never saw each other again. The memory of that gruesome silhouette against an alpine sunset. That is something I will never forget. All right, well, um, it was great to meet you. Um, I'm gonna eat the cinnamon raisin bagel. I'll see you out there. Bye. Yeah, it's certainly very interesting. I think I was reading a, an interview with Alan Yang where they kind of talked about their approach that they were looking at rather than making it just um, like a continuation of a show. They kind of wanted to make almost like 10 individual short films for the whole season and like each film is kind of telling its own story. And and I think they achieved that to a certain extent. You know, with that in mind, there's nothing like overly like serious that goes on here. There's no, not any real great peril, but there are like lots of serious matters that they kind of dwell on. They kind of dwell on, you know, the difficulties of like millennial life for for someone who, you know, doesn't really have to worry about money or doesn't really have to worry about, you know, they're in good health and things like that. So there's not those big things hanging over their heads. So it kind of looks at those like those something that you might consider to be first world problems and you know it, it does tackle a lot of important subjects and uh, and some like essential things to modern day living and it does it in a way it's it, they do it almost like a discussion it's not anything that's ever too preachy or anything like that it just kind of lays it out there does a really good job of showing different sides to the argument and they it just approaches it all in a very gentle kind of interesting way and i mean there were so many standouts in this season you know you look at the the episode about the parents and you know it kind of starts off with that kind of tired cliche of oh parents are a drag they just don't get it they don't let me do what i want to do and you know it, it tries to go further it shows you the flashbacks of what these parents went through in order for these you know 
second generation families to grow up in America and and it kind of looks on those connections and then they have that wonderful kind of discussion you know when they ask them oh what did you do for fun and uh, you know when when Dev asks his dad what he did for fun and his dad's like well fun is a something your generation has created we didn't have the luxury of having fun and that just kind of really piles it on you know they the fact that they've worked and sweated and toiled so that this next generation can have that really really interesting and then on top of that you know the the episode the indians on tv which again kind of dwells on stereotypes to an extent but opens with that wonderful kind of um package well wonderful and disgusting really package of um you know the the different portrayals of, of of indians on tv i think it's over like the last four decades or so and it's just you know really horrible to the indian and johnny five being played by a the by a white actor or you know up until modern day with bloody Ashton Kutcher on pop chip commercials I mean that that whole episode really just goes into those different portrayals not just for Indians you know there's commentary on on different races in that as well and then you get something that's you know a lot more of a traditional trope in in shows like this and in the sitcom you know you've got the romance and the the romance between Dev and Rachel is I, I always find really really just really really interesting and well done you know the way that they kind of talk about commitment to each other you've got that episode where they're just in their apartments the whole time and you just kind of see the relationship go through that romantic phase and the honeymoon phase and then it turns into something more real and more serious and you know they they have those discussions about you know when that spark goes out of it or do you really want to stay together but on top of tackling all those issues they still manage to have fun with everything it is still a fun show it is a funny show it's really really well done you know it was a real gem for me to kind of stumble across. I found it, you know, I saw it because it was advertised on Netflix. It wasn't even really through word of mouth that I came onto this. You know, you just see Aziz Ansari's face being advertised. And it's a show I knew nothing about. I thought, well, there's that Parks and Rec guy. He was funny. I'll, I'll maybe give this a go. And yeah, it just turned out to be really rewarding. I don't know I don't know how you came across the show. Yeah, it was essentially the same for me. I think I kind of stumbled upon it right when it came out. And... I, you know, I had known him from Parks and Rec. I think I had seen Buried Alive, his stand-up special that went to Netflix, mm. but I didn't really remember it too well. And I was like, yeah, what the heck? You know, I'll check it out. And I was hooked immediately. And um, since then, I've learned just kind of, you know, a little bit about Aziz as a person. And mm-hmm. uh, it's clear from the show that this is a big passion project of his. But yeah. hearing him just talk about... Um, pretty much anything in general, just whether he's reminiscing about his own life or discussing uh, his own work or, you know, other projects from other people. You can tell he's a genuine guy, that he he really cares and that uh, you see it in this entertaining product that comes out and you really get that, I think right from the opening credits where they put, you know, the main cast members up there, you get that feel of like these are, you know, almost a bunch of collection of short films Mm. Even the way that's like entitled, you know, it's Master of None presents this episode. Right. You know, I, I think that's significant. Yeah, good, good call on that. And uh, you know, in a way, if you really, if you just watched Plan B and then jumped to Nashville, the sixth episode, and watched it to the end, though, you could pretty much extract a great rom com out of it just between <laughs> between mm-hmm. the two of them. And as you said, with mornings being having the really accurate depiction of the transition out of the honeymoon phase, just in general, yeah. this relationship between him and Rachel felt really real. It's there's nothing wrong with having an intense passionate relationship with someone you care about but they don't always always have to ha- end in a nasty breakup or end in a getting married and 
these characters were really honest with each other and it felt to me like real people just dealing with uh well our our relationship's at a 70% or an 80% and <laughs> worst game ever very ill advised as every character yeah. tells death yeah. but uh yeah there's something about that that just that grounded it in that reality and I'm starting to recognize a pattern with this being our third episode it seems like we we like these shows that kind of remind us of the real world despite having a fantastical plot or, or if you're just following someone around New York City. So, uh, you pretty much always lived in New York? Yeah, I finished school at Penn, then I moved to New York, and I've been there for about six years. How about you? Uh, yeah, I went to school in New York, and I've pretty much been there for the past, like, 15 years. Seems kind of dumb, though. Like, why don't I move somewhere nice and tropical? I got a friend, he was vacationing in Hawaii, and he just stayed there. And now he, like, runs a scuba shop and he lives here. Why do more people do stuff like that? I think that people just get scared. My sister used to always talk about living in Paris for a year and it sounded so awesome. Then suddenly she's married and she has a kid. And it's like, oh, well, I guess that plan's dead. Yeah, I feel like once you get to our age, that window to do big moves like that starts to close. And it doesn't even close slowly. You just look up and it's closed. At some point, I would love to do something crazy, like quit my job, change my hair, move to Tokyo. But I'll probably just pull a Jennifer, wake up with a kid in my lap, and be like, shit, forgot to do it. Yeah. Why Tokyo? I've always wanted to go, and I was really into Japanese culture and stuff when I was in high school. Well, you could always pull the eat, pray, love move. You know, the window opens back up again when you turn 50, and you realize it fucked up your life. So, you just travel in. Very depressing. (laughs) (laughs) And again, it's interesting you saying, you know, jumping from episode one to maybe the Nashville episode. You know, I think... um, that this show was made and Sari was kind of coming off the back of, of Parks and Recreation and he was he you know he, he talked about looking at um at doing movie product uh, project and this just seemed like more of a, a natural fit and he he said some and 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 this almost feels like kind of a response to to like the broad Hollywood comedies that we're getting right now like the rom coms this is almost like a throwback to and he he's referenced this himself this isn't me giving any original thoughts but you know he kind of sees it as a a woody a throwback to maybe woody allen movies like manhattan or something like the heartbreak kid but um yeah i i I read an interview where he said something like i would put up you know three or four episodes of this show against any any comedy movie that's being released in america right now and i think that's right and you could you could almost kind of pick and choose and put them together as a movie if you wanted to tell the story of 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 dev and rachel you could do episode one and then nashville and then probably the last two episodes of the season and you know you have a a really really satisfying uh well not necessarily satisfying in its conclusion but at least a very very honest depiction of of a relationship yeah and I think that a lot of that comes from with Alan Yang having worked on Parks and Recreation. It, he clearly had an existing relationship with Ansari. So, so many episodes are written by the both of them. I mean, I think pretty much every single one, with the exception of The Other Man, uh, or or maybe Hot Ticket was kind of a combo story and teleplay. Um, but... Yeah, it's just like, it's good to see that this pair is continuing to work together and making something that's very different from Parks and Recreation, but also, uh, you know, a a fantastic show to its own right. And, um, you know, the mentioning Hot Ticket, the episode where uh, Dev is trying to figure out which girl to invite to the great concert, um, you know, the story was by Harris Whittles and... 
if you don't know Harris Whittles, he worked on Parks and Rec as a writer and was also one of the two stoners that ran the animal control department. Oh, right, right, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was the short guy. Um, and yeah, oh. uh, he passed away in 2015, um, did like a like a sudden illness, something something r- rather unexpected. Um, so I think. He was originally going to have a much bigger part with Master of None, and Aziz does this beautiful tribute to him on AV Club. I recommend everyone check it out if you're just to get an idea of like what Aziz sounds like when he's just talking, you know, kind of like as a as a regular person, just talking about someone that he loved and cared about, and who did really good work for the industry that they're both a part of, and so. That that really struck me as as like yeah this is someone that not only can make a funny show but the depth behind this show comes from a real place because Aziz is clearly an emotional and passionate person. Yeah, definitely, and I think um, that depth that you speak of kind of comes from the relationship between Aziz and Yang, and you know this desire to produce something that they're really proud of, and this desire to produce something that is an act of love and not just kind of going through the motions um you know i think they both said in an interview in in the build-up to the show you know they wanted to first of all make a show that didn't have as many episodes as parks and recreation and i think you, you can understand the reasons behind that but they also you know they didn't really want to have that compromise they wanted to make a show that kind of speaks to them and in in many ways you know netflix was the ideal home for them it kind of gave them that freedom with the episodes it gave them a freedom to make the episodes last as long as they wanted them to last they had the freedom to kind of make it 10 episodes without the pressure of 12 or 22 or 24 however many seasons um you know a network would request you know they they said they didn't i think ansari was quite outspoken about his um desire to avoid the network or uh, avoid making a network show and i think that a lot of that from what he said was just so that he could avoid the battle he didn't want to have to compromise his vision which i think is admirable you know and for goodness sake it's a show that you know it's very first scenes we we see its main protagonist going to to purchase the morning after pill with a, a one night stand uh, after a condom breaks, which is um, perhaps not something you would see on normal network television. And um, so, so it's great that Netflix has given them a, a chance to do that. And it's and that's kind of the joy of Netflix. It kind of gives you a chance to to see all these shows that, w- that wouldn't necessarily get shot on network television. Yeah, I, I really don't think so. And and props to Netflix too for also going out there and reviving. Um, certain shows like bringing well you know, with the exception of fuller house i'm not even going to get into that because we're, we're not just let everyone knows we're not discussing that show on this program okay but when you look at something like arrested development a show that uh, i think was a little ahead of its time uh, especially for a network show and continued the proud tradition of fox canceling really good shows <laughs> before they could see their end and um you know the fourth season of arrested development i'm, I'm sure we'll do an episode on that series and get into it more there but it did receive a lot of mixed uh, reviews and the thing is though i just like that netflix was like hey this is something that people care about or even if they're taking an older show like firefly and just putting it up there i mean so that people can watch something that uh you know may have prematurely ended but that that makes netflix i think a very attractive investor and for something like this show master of none which i firmly believe would not not only not get picked up by network or um you know television but also i think cable even premium cable would have a hard time picking up a show like this because it is a relatively loose concept and 
Um, these are big names, but none of them are mainline actors that you would... Not like where you get Ed Harris and Anthony Hopkins to helm a Westworld. I mean, I don't really see HBO picking up a Master of None unless you had the clout of like Larry David and can do something like Curb Your Enthusiasm, which I feel like that show is very similar to this one in its vin- vignette style and comedian you know, center character. But yeah, I think you really hit on something with Aziz doing his Netflix specials and you know, building a good relationship there. And I'm sure that must have had a big influence and you know, hopefully... Hopefully he had some competition. It wasn't just Netflix giving him the offer, but I'm thrilled that uh, that that happened because I can't imagine a better distribution model for this show in particular. I mean, I get it. Like things have been a certain way for a long time, and yes, these have all been recent changes, and we should be very grateful that they're happening now. But I'm always, you know, call it the impatient millennial. I always want it to happen faster, and it still baffles me. Uh, that I myself wasn't really aware of these, um, you know, issues in television and in movies. And uh, Aziz describes himself as a feminist, and uh, my girlfriend definitely is, and she's you know opened my eyes to like a lot of inequality issues. And yeah, it's it's now very glaring. Um, in the I think in the Rick and Morty episode we briefly mentioned you know the '90s films and '90s genre of TV and some of the stuff that just doesn't fly today. Uh, you know, how how the discussion in uh, Ladies and Gentlemen of Master of None about, you know, sexism and how women feel, uh, you know, out on a street by themselves at night or, or even just that, that small instance of uh, the director not shaking the hands of the women or introducing himself, which I thought was a really great observation, as, as they so eloquently put Anyone can call out the compulsive subway masturbator, but it takes a real, a real like um, you know, in-depth look to understand why this man not introducing himself to the only two females at the table is is just as big of a slight. It's really weird. It, it makes me feel really shitty too. I was like, how many times have I done stuff like this and just been unaware? And I'm grateful for shows like Master of None and. I think, you know, a lot of shows that have come out in the last decade or maybe even just five years have really turned, um, well, not turned, but, like, just brought this issue to the forefront. And are, I think the different ways that different shows are approaching it in movies is it's good that that's getting out there. And um, because aside from it being entertaining or even, like, a critical piece of art worthy of the Academy, uh, there's a lot that... Um, but there's a lot that anyone just watching, you know, these shows can learn from it and just, you know, see these things happening in daily life. And yeah, I mean, you better believe it. If I see anything like, you know, going down on the subway, that's, you know, inappropriate action toward well, anyone, but I'm going to speak out about it. It's something that I feel inspired and, you know, it's, <laughs> it may be odd to a lot of people that I'm being inspired by, you know, a short comedian, you know, in his thirties who's doing uh, this <laughs> uh, little show set in New York City. But I think you know his message is very powerful, and I'm really glad he's getting it out there in so many different mediums. Just so you guys know, even before all of this, I consider myself a feminist. Really, Arnold? A feminist is a person that thinks men and women should be treated equally. I fully support that. So, my good sir, I'm a feminist. Wow, I'm really impressed you knew that. Dude, I know tons of fun facts. For example, did you know that all the ants in the world weigh as much as all the humans in the world? I'm just saying, if they possessed our intelligence and could somehow organize, it'd be a fair fight. 
Yeah, and I, I want to talk about that, ladies and gentlemen, episode a little bit more, and specifically like the opening for it. I mean, again, this is this is it. This show, I, it it handles topics, but I don't think it's in any way preachy. I think in in many ways it, it kind of offers it offers a debate, it offers a discussion, and like I think it does attempt to try and show both sides of the argument, particularly in that episode. But it kind of opens with, you know, the guys at the bar, um, uh, uh, Dev and, and Arnold, and they're, they're they're trying to get the barman's attention. And they're there, and they're there kind of lamenting that the girls get special special uh, treatment from the bartenders. You know, of course the bartender's going to serve the attractive girl instead of instead of us, which is um, so unfair. And then you, you cut to across the bar where there's a girl being harassed by some asshole who wants to buy her tequila shots and then kind of puts it back on her when she doesn't want it. And then you get like the, the juxtaposed walk homes where, where, where Dev and Arnold are walking along to uh, oh, that sequence to, is great. to Bobby McFerrin's Don't Worry, Be Happy. And the worst thing that happens yeah. to them is Dev steps in some dog shit. And then cuts cuts to the, the girl, the poor girl walking home who's loading up nine, has the first two numbers in 911 loaded up on her phone just in case. Uh, with uh, like some sort of John Carpenter esque background music playing, something straight out of a horror movie. It's God, it's like it's hammered home. And again, I I, I don't live in New York. I I can't really relate too much to to these people. But yeah, it's it I'm, it happens. It must happen. And it's it, it's outrageous. It's absolutely outrageous that this is allowed to happen. Oh it, yeah, it definitely happens. Because after I watched that episode with my girlfriend, then you know she was telling me about stories when she was followed or you know maybe groped on the train even and oh just my like god holy crap like i mean infuriating but also like a little i don't know i just felt bad that i had never really taken note of this and that it or that it's just we have um kind of a pop culture society the same way that stuff in the 90s wouldn't fly today if it was too sexist or you know, homophobic or just those kind of things that we would jump on for like easy jokes. Uh, I don't think this would fly back in the nineties, the, the show like master of none, because talking about these issues on TV would have been the death knell because that, that's not the place for these kinds of discussions. And I think you really nailed it, Michael, when you say it brings up a debate because yes, this show takes a stance where clearly like, you know, equality is good. Sexism is, is bad, but it frames it in a way where it's where we're looking at the situation from both sides and not demonizing either side, but rather they're. Tr- I think they're trying to promote an understanding of why uh, two sides of an issue of whether it be sexism or you know first generation versus second generation immigration or just <laughs> the regular way we treat our elderly in the wonderful episode of old people. Uh, just I think it promotes it promotes discussion much more than like a blind side, yep, this is wrong, and we're saying it's wrong, and let's move on, where I think it can get preachy. Mm-hmm. And I'm just I'm just kind of like, I'm looking back kind of over a summary of all, all the episodes, and I feel like almost the first episode is, is a little bit misleading. Like, the, the, the first episode, um, Plan B, you know, it begins with the condom break-in, and they, they go to the... They go to the pharmacy to um, to get essentially the morning after pill just to just to be on the safe side, and then the rest of the episode is kind of Dev, kind of contemplating how his life would be altered if if he had kids in his life, and you know if that he's thinking about whether that's a decision you want to make, and it and it's in a way kind of um, looking at 
kind of looking at bigger issues, kind of looking at this transition out of, you know, the, the party side of your life into taking responsibility for yourself a little bit more. But, you know, there's also that kind of... Uh, almost this sort of feeling that it's like oh first world problems you know is this guy going to be able to go get past it at 10 o'clock at night um if he has children how terrible you know it, it, it almost trades off like it's you know this kind of just the hipsters in new york but then and, and i know there's more to that episode than just that but the, you could be forgiven for thinking that this is what this show is going to be a, be about and then it, it, it just jumps into stuff that's so much deeper it's it, it's really interesting and like it and i almost think that that first episode is to its detriment because I, I, again it wasn't a show you know i hooked is my buzzword it wasn't a show that sucked me in from episode one you know i, I kind of watched it over a few weeks and 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 you know, by the end, it was the sort of case I was what this was kind of a show that I watched before work in the morning while eating my breakfast. And like, I, I would almost make myself late for work to kind of finish it. Um, which is probably not the best way to watch a show. But um, yeah, I almost feel like that that episode is kind of misleading to, to, to what's what's on display for the for the rest of it. And I, I, I don't know if it was intentional. I don't I, I don't know how you feel about that. Well, that's interesting, because yeah, I, I actually thought the first episode to me encapsulate what kind of every episode was like where you sure like it, it definitely has that like shock kind of grab right away when with with the instant but they all right we're going to be exploring these kind of millennial topics of, mm. you know what's it like to be a younger person in 2000 2015 in the, in the 20 teens you know growing up in the city so you know they that they whip out the phone to Google like well is there semen in precom and, and, <laughs> yeah, like, right. and then the whole discussion of like getting the Uber but like he wants to be clear that he you know he could get the Uber X it would just take like a little longer it's I think there's there's this persistent thing through every episode where it's like very Seinfeld esque where they kind of focus on the the nothing like these like little little idiosyncrasies of just uh, the time and age that they're in right now as characters. Yeah, overall, like it does. That episode mainly explores like what will Dev's life be with kids, or you know, and him kind of, I guess, coming to the conclusion that yeah, that's a terrible idea. I should definitely remain kidless at least for right now. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not, I guess, it's not probed as much as even the second episode with the parents, which, in my opinion, might be the best episode of the series. And it was the second episode that hooked me. The first, I was like, yeah, this is pretty good. And the second episode, I was like, okay, this is a show to watch ASAP. Um, I, I, but I almost think in hindsight that the episode one, once you've watched the whole series, to go back to it, because it's, again, it's a very measured look at both sides. You go back and forth on it. You know, you look at the the, 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 the enrichment that comes with it, you know, how your life kind of all of a sudden has this whole new thing yeah, else. Yeah, well, but in, in that sense, too, I think if you were, like, to pop in to just mornings or just the finale, it would have a different feel. And um, in a way, the the plan B and finale kind of bookend and mirror each other just with, yeah, Dev is thinking about kids in the first episode and how that impacts his life. And then at the end, he's just, it's a, it's a step dial back even further. He's like, can I even just get married to someone that I've been dating and I'm really happy with? I saw life branching out before me, like the green fig tree in the story. From the tip of every branch, like a fat purple fig, a wonderful future beckoned and winked. One fig was a husband and a happy home and children. And another fig was a famous poet. And another fig was a brilliant professor. And another fig was Europe and Africa and South America. And another fig was Constantine and Socrates and Attila 
from a pack of other lovers with queer names and offbeat professions. And beyond and above these figs, or many more figs, I couldn't quite make out. I saw myself sitting in the crotch of this fig tree, starving to death, just because I couldn't make up my mind which of the figs I would choose. I wanted each and every one of them, but choosing one and losing all the rest. And as I sat there, unable to decide, the figs began to wrinkle and go black. One by one, they plopped to the ground at my feet. Yeah, I, I see what you mean by the, those those bookend episodes of the the first and last have a little bit of a different feel, but um, yeah, I mean it's just it's got a little bit of those recurring mm. elements sprinkled in. And I mean we've we, we've talked about like the the heavier issues that these shows that these shows like cover like lots of important society things, but you know one of the the most important recurring parts of it is. Um, is the relationship that Dev builds throughout the season, and it is a bit of a slow burn um, with with Rachel. Um, I would like to spend some time talking about how utterly fantastic uh, Noelle Wells is throughout the season. I think she's uh, absolutely wonderful. But um, just in general, the relationship that builds between between the two of them—that's uh, something that you know builds throughout and obviously becomes kind of the the, uh, the 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 focus of the narrative for the for the climax of the series. I agree with you. Noelle Wells is. Phenomenal. Um, I mean, before this, what? Correct me if I'm wrong. She just had some stuff on SNL and maybe some very small parts. I mean, she. Do you know her from any large productions or, or big roles? No, I don't. I, I really don't know her from much else. I've I've heard her on a couple of episodes of Doug Loves Movies, and that's about as far as uh, my knowledge of her goes. Yeah. Well, I I hope she's doing a lot more stuff because she blew me away in this show and the chemistry between the two of them. So natural. I mean, I I don't know how much time they had spent together or if they even knew each other before the show or, or what that looked like in the production stages. But you know, the it's, it's believable from every stage of them just meeting on that one night stand all the way through uh, the end of the relationship, which as you said, kind of has like a, a slow burn as, as she kind of pops in a few episodes later and we find out she has a boyfriend and then, you know, he randomly uh, is notified that she's single and they go to Nashville, which as far as like first official dates go, really nice to see, um, you know, a show just like go to another city and and have a whole plot centered around just you know being tourists in another city. It's uh, it's a great refreshing look at a relationship in a movie or a television show, and um, yeah, as it does call back to older rom coms a little bit. I think it's also paving the way for a new genre of rom coms that. Uh, I've only really seen maybe a little bit in some Judd Apatow products, including his Netflix show Love, mm. uh, where you get this kind of, I don't want to say necessarily darker rom-com, but a more complex relationship that isn't just going to end with the guy somehow kind of tricking Meg Ryan into falling in love with him. Is that how 90s rom-coms work? <laughs> Pretty much, right? I'm glad, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned love because that was definitely a comparison I wanted to make. Um, I mean, for me, I, I, I just, I, I know love, you know, at its, con- at its central concept is this relationship between um, yeah, Paul Rust and, and, and Gilliam Jacobs. And, and, and it's a good show in its own right, but I, I, I found the, the relationship uh, it depicted in Master of None to be far more accessible, far more believable, yeah. you know, far more rooted in, in what makes or breaks a relationship, essentially. You know, it's not such these extremes, which I think uh, the show Love delves into. 
Yeah, uh, definitely. Um, I would agree with that. Just, it, yeah, it shares like a little bit of that style with the Apatow mm-hmm. romances, but definitely a completely different feel that, you know, Aziz has given his unique voice to. Mm-hmm. And what and, and again, what I like, you know, we've talked about this show tackling issues and a, and, a, and, a, and an issue that this show tackles without even bringing really any attention to it. They kind of reference it a little bit in the, the episode mornings, but it's a it's a interracial relationship. Um, you don't often see um, a, a, a male of color um, in a relationship, in a predominant relationship with a, a white female. This is something I think uh, right. Bell Hooks has written an awful lot about extensively about. Um, and that was something that they 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 do they tackle they show you know quite graphically the the affection in their relationship, um, but they they never really reference it, um, which is something I was really excited about. Um, I was really disappointed the way that something like that was tackled in another show that I like very much, Community. I thought they completely uh, whooshed out and dropped the ball on something like that. But I I feel like this show um, not only just you know fully embraced it, but then also didn't reference it at all really. Now, I wonder, okay, so I'm curious, which relationship in community were you saying that they wussed out on? I think with uh, Troy and Britta, they, they really dropped the ball. I think, um, you know, they spent a, a, a good bit of time kind of setting up that relationship, yeah. but then by the time they actually got into the relationship, um, they, they, you know, they kind of explored it for a few episodes. There was episodes where you couldn't even really tell that they were dating in it. Um, I don't right. I don't really recall them ever... Um, even uh, kissing on the mouth or anything like that. Um, I, 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 I yeah, think, I mean, I barely remembered yeah. this relationship even exists. No, well, exactly. Yeah, yeah that, that's it. They, they, they did hint to it. They spent a whole season hinting to it. And I, 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 I'm not sure. I almost think that, like, they spent a season um, building to it. And then the, the season where they were actually together was the season where Dan Harmon had left the show. Um, that might be wrong, yeah. uh, but I I wouldn't be surprised no, that, if that was the case because that you know. sounds familiar. And I'm wondering if like maybe the networks had a hand in that. We were yeah. talking about it earlier, like as he's you know bringing this to Netflix and how it probably wouldn't fly. I mean, yeah, even even what was that 2013? Yeah, it wasn't that long ago, but it was. No. Yeah, it was. It, it was just a subject. I you know I I'd studied it in in university, so it's something I do look for, and I you know I was intrigued by community building to this relationship, and then I just remember being very disappointed with how they 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 dropped the ball with it in the end. I thought it was uh, sloppy, but I no I I, I I I appreciated it in this show basically, and they and they do talk about like the cultural differences in in the morning's episodes. You know when when Dev talks about how he hasn't um, mentioned Rachel to his parents, but it's yeah. not quite. It's not that's not quite the discussion that um, they're having on that. Yeah, well, and also there's that old man at the wedding that you know. What does he say? It's so nice to see her dating an ethnic man. And, and <laughs> how is he? he's like that guy said ethnic way too many times. <laughs> yeah, it's and I, I like that again. It's like not necessarily that he was wrong. They again showed it from both sides. It's like well, his heart was in the right place, but he just said right. ethnic like one too many times. It was just like. Oh God! Now you've made me feel very self-conscious about how much I've said it on this episode. Have you? Have you said? See, now it's already gone through my my one in one ear and out the other. So that probably makes oh me a boy. worse person. So I think you're off the hook on that one. I'm going to be editing this episode severely. <laughs> my heart's in the right place, like that old old man at the wedding. All right, Michael, you need you need to zip it up now. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Dev. Hey, Mr. Ryan. What's up, Arthur Ryan? Father of the groom. Hello, Mr. Ryan. I'm Rachel. Ah, oh, that's nice. I love seeing ethnically mixed couples. You two are beautiful together. Oh, thanks. 
Had you ever dated an ethnic man before this, Rachel? Oh, no. I was very nervous. I had been dating a lot of whites. Just so many whites. Then one day I woke up and just thought, Rachel, you have to go out there and try yourself an ethnic. And here we are. It's going great. Oh, fantastic. Well, the ceremony is about to begin. Lovely to meet you. Nice to meet you. Take care. Wow. I mean... I think his heart's in the right place, but you really shouldn't be saying ethnic that much. Mm -mm. What is the real race breakdown of your previous dudes? Uh, white, 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 half Asian, and you. Whoa, so that half Asian guy, he was kind of a gateway drug to me? I guess so. Who knows what'll be next? I do. White guy. <laughs> are, there, are there any other episodes that stood out to you that we haven't mentioned already? Uh... Yeah, well, we kind of mentioned old people, but that one really, really stuck out to me as one of my favorites. And it's something that I've kind of thought about. I think it's a little weird in American society. And, um, you know, I'm guessing probably common in, in uh, you know, Western society or like European capitalism influenced societies where when you hit a certain age and you're probably mid 60s or though nowadays, maybe even early 70s, where it's expected that you're no longer going to work and you're you're not really um, a contributing member to the society anymore as a whole. And a lot of these elderly people, uh, you know, get shuttled away from their families and end up in homes or uh, assisted living cares or even just live completely by themselves. I really liked the way that this show brought it in. Like, who do who they get to play the grandmother? I'm blanking her name, but I, I loved her, how blunt she was and just everything of just being like, yeah, I got dumped in here and no one comes to visit. Like, it's just, I don't know how many elderly people watch Master of None, but I guarantee you if you showed, hey, like my grandparents or I know a lot of grandparents of friends I know that, you know, live by themselves or live in assisted living, they would get a complete kick out of this episode. And especially my dad's parents were first generation from Europe. So, of course, the parents episode really spoke to me, but since um, it wasn't my parents directly that had immigrated, this this old people episode really got to me, and I think they they did a really good job of bringing that that issue to the front and in a fun way, and just showing that like, yeah, these are people too, and they still have you know great things to contribute, and also the fact that they could die much easier and much sooner than um, you know all us youngins as they do so well with the cold open, and they get really excited about talking to Arnold's grandfather, and then he's dead. And uh, your only consolation is that, you know, luckily Arnold received Pero in the will. And uh, that little robotic seal, um, which, by the way, is a real thing. You can you can go online and get a Pero um, if, if you are a veteran in need. And I, I like how this, you know, Master of None kind of presents it as a joke. And even, um, you know, Papa, like grand, the grandfather to Arnold is even thinks it's a stupid thing, but we show how it not only comforts Arnold, but then he gives it to um, the elderly man who works in his building as, you know, like the super or whatever. And uh, it's it's another great example of the show, taking a joke, doing something funny, you know, maybe even taking it somewhere unexpected, but then also like getting to the heart of it and showing that, yes, this is like a funny, silly thing, but hey, it does bring good to a lot of people. And, you know, these are things that we need to continue to normalize because we need to reach out more to the elderly and especially uh, war veterans, I think was really 
you know, interesting to hear his story about jumping on the other enemy soldiers in Korea, like coming out of the tree with his knife and everything. You're like, holy crap. I mean, this has happened to so many people of so many countries all over the world. And we're really lucky to live in a relatively, or I think it is the safest time, I think, globally it's ever been in a relative state of peace that we haven't, we don't know a lot of people that have directly been affected by war, at least, you know, in the, in the United States. Um, it's something that I think we easily forget about when we don't really see the direct, like, quote unquote, economic or like social value of an elderly person and particularly veterans of all ages. I think this is a, a major problem. Um, yeah, so that's my little soapbox rant, rant and I really enjoyed old people. Yeah, well, I mean, again, just uh, another, they managed to intertwine that that comedy and that entertainment value. But again, that kind of respect for the elderly, I, I feel like we would be amiss for, without uh, wrapping up the episode without the role of, of, of Dev's parents. Um, they, they pop up in a couple of episodes and, you know, be charming. I mean, and, and they get some of the biggest laughs throughout the season, particularly perhaps uh, Dev's dad. Guys, thank you so much for coming. Uh, Brian and I just wanted to take you to a nice dinner to say thank you. You worked very hard, you came to this country, you gave us a better life, and we've never really shown our appreciation. So, uh, to our parents. What is this super special spicy Cheshwan chicken? Ramesh, why are you looking at that? You don't even eat spicy food. It is super special, must be good. Dad, did you bring those photos from our New Zealand trip? Uh-oh. I forgot him. Sorry. You know, he takes a lot of photos with his camera and we never get to see them. I took a bunch of photos with my iPad. No, you just took one long video. Hey, that is the whole trip, ma'am. You see everything. Ma, why are you just eating white rice? I like to eat whatever I want to eat. Do I tell you what to eat? I don't even like Chinese food. Why don't you say something? We have to come here. We could have gone somewhere else. I like this place. I took mom once. She didn't eat anything, though. Yeah, because she doesn't like Chinese food. I like it. It's great. Another reason that we wanted to take you guys out was to learn more about you and how you got here. Dad, do you have any stories you care to share? I cannot think of anything noteworthy. Uh, come on, there's got to be something, right? Like, like, well, what did you do when you were growing up in Taiwan? I worked very hard. Okay, uh, did anything particularly interesting happen? No. Well, what about you guys? What did you do when you were our age here in New York? I just worked and took care of you and your father. What about for fun? Pada, we didn't do anything for fun. You realize fun is a new thing, right? Fun is a luxury only your generation really has. What about when you were a kid? What did you do for fun then? You had all the toys. We used to take you to soccer team, guitar lesson, Nintendo. I simply studied, played outside, ate some rice, and went to bed. Ma, what about your first day in America? That must have been pretty exciting. No, I just got dropped off from the airport and your father went to work. I didn't know nobody and I barely knew your father. We had an arranged marriage and I knew him only for a week or so. Well, what about that first day, though? Did you go out and explore the city? No, I sat on the couch and cried. Well, that's really sad. Jamal, you asked. And now, okay, so now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick my finger probably where it shouldn't go because I'm not a professionally trained actor. I have not really even had any formal, much training in cinema or theater. 
when you say good actors, they are not. I guess what defines a good actor to you? Because my impression on them was, yes, they're not professional actors, but I wouldn't want anyone else to be filling their roles. And for this role, they are playing a character. Therefore, they are an actor. So, I, yeah. I mean, I agree completely. And there is, you know, that kind of naturalness about them. I think De- um, Ansari has, has written them into situations which are real to them. I, you know, I would imagine that perhaps his, his father has struggled with an iPad at, at, at times. I, I guess more what it comes down to is maybe the line delivery. I think at times it really feels like they're, they've memorized their line and they're trying very hard to deliver that line um as it was written um and and again it's not a knock i mean they're they're great they add an awful lot to it um but i i don't think we'll be seeing them in much else but i think in in terms of you know they're 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 clearly very comfortable with um aziz uh, as they should be you know having uh, raised him from 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 a child but uh, uh <laughs> you hope so yeah you would hope so you know if they're doing their job right um but uh yeah when it comes to to the acting it, it kind of feels like you can see the wheels turning um when they have to when they have to do what they have to do but <laughs> you know i i think it does add to it like i i, I wouldn't have wanted them to have, have cast actors in that role i think they're fantastic yeah i get i guess for me when in those situations i it impacted me more as like oh these are just like legit first immigrant like first generation immigrants and like those moments you know where you're talking about line delivery it seemed to me like it was just kind of part of you know they they have the english barrier still a little bit or or that his parents are just super awkward i don't know maybe maybe you're right maybe you're right yeah and i know and i and i know you mean like about how what you're saying about that you're not knocking it at all and um i don't think anyone out there is knocking their performances but it's it's good to note that yeah it can it can feel a little stiff to some interpretations and you know or like the way that they execute certain scenes but for me personally i really like i like realism and i like that kind of raw feel that not necessarily unscripted but something that doesn't feel like it's totally polished which right i i think you really get a a sense of that from the show in general that like these aren't pristine sets like these aren't you know about it's not focused on dev's career so much it's not like oh let's follow an actor trying to make it in the city it's like let's just follow this real dude and his group of friends as they just try and navigate you know the the social issues of today I think that really hits at the the heart of the show and what they what they were um, going for. Um, I feel like I've touched on all the things that that I love about the show and have made it special. Um, you know, we're we're fast approaching the hour mark, and you know, we went over a run with with Rick and Morty, which I think was uh, rather predictable. But in the interest of, of of wrapping things up, is there is there anything any other uh, points that you feel make this show special that you want to mention? Um, yeah, that not specifically about the show. I think we really hit. Uh, all the all the good stuff i mean i think like anything we could talk about all these for hours but um (laughs) there are two random facts uh i stumbled upon while researching this um (laughs) one is that uh aziz and eric wareheim uh and as well as jason wolnier have formed the food club where they go around to places in new york that they have eaten at and they they show up dressed in suits wearing captain's hats like from a ship (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and and present a plaque to the restaurant that reads, The Food Club has dined here and deemed it plaque-worthy. And, <laughs> I don't know, I just think it's hilarious that even, even you know, producing a final product that goes onto the airwaves 
uh, that these guys are still finding a way to like go out into the real world and just mess around and have fun and kind of do these little things, whether they believe in it, uh, you know, it actually is good food or are just doing it for entertainment purposes. But I always like hearing actors and, and other like writers and stuff doing that. And <laughs> yeah, it's that's one thing I wanted to be sure all the viewers know about. So if you do see those plaques around restaurants in New York City, then Aziz and Eric say that it's totally cool to eat there. Um, and finally, I want to encourage everyone to look. I believe it's on AV Club is where it was shared, but I think it's on YouTube for uh, Aziz and Eric did a short um I guess it's like a fake intro to a TV show that they apparently claim was going to be the original Master of None, uh, Big Bud and Little Bud. <laughs> and they play two biological brothers where there might be more that's, that meets the eye. Um, <laughs> and I will, no spoilers for the whole, you know, like four minute video, but there is a talking dog involved. So I oh definitely my recommend God. everyone to go out there. And see this zany comedy. And when you see this little short, it will also give you an idea of what the skits are like on Tim and Eric Awesome Show. Because uh, it's it's done very much in that vein. So you'll get a little taste of anti-humor with Eric Wareheim. But instead of having Tim Heidecker with him, it's Aziz Ansari. Yeah, that's, check it out. That's awesome. That's awesome. I'm definitely <laughs> yeah. going to check that out. I suppose to wrap up in our traditional, what is now becoming our traditional way, I suppose three episodes counts as a tradition. Um, yeah. Master Master of None is, uh, I believe I read that they're they're coming back with a second season, or at least it's in the pipeline. This is an interesting one. Uh, are you going to purge uh, purge your little brain out and binge on all of that? Are you going to are you going to kind of take a tentative approach and um, and and uh, revisit it when you have the time, or is it something that you're going to probably avoid going forward? Well, definitely not something I'm going to avoid. Uh, I It's tough, because I believe it's coming out right around the same time as Silicon Valley and Game of Thrones. Oh, mate, where, where are I you know, right? time where, for all this? There's not going to be... You know, we're living in, in a golden age, and it's a double-edged sword golden age with all that. But, um, yeah, I think since Silicon and Game of Thrones will be airing week to week, that I'll probably need to fill my weeknights with Master of None. So I imagine I'll probably watch the entire second season over a week or two like I did the first one. Yeah. How about you? I'm kind of torn on this one, to be honest, because I, I loved this season. I, 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 I thought it was a terrific show. I thought it was wonderfully written, really, really great observations. I thought it was great. But I also think that it, it kind of concluded in a, an entirely satisfactory way. Uh, yeah. I, you know, I, I am not chomping at the bit to kind of see the continued... The uh, the continued adventures of Dev, I suppose. I feel like his story was almost kind of wrapped up. Now, look, if they're if they're going to do another ten episodes where they're they're touching on some really really important issues in our society, then yeah, I'm all on board for it because I think they they do that very well. Um, yeah, I, I guess I, I I'm intrigued. Uh, I will absolutely watch it. Uh, I don't know how necessary a second season is. It almost feels like they've wrapped it up perfectly, but. Uh, you know, as long as they can, they can keep having the conversations that they they have been having in that season. Then, yeah, I'm all I'm all for it. I'm sure it will be something that I, I I watch pretty quickly after release, and I would imagine it won't take me very long to to watch the whole thing. Yeah, I I definitely have a, a faith in them. You know, making a second season, it it does feel like it wrapped up so well. I mean, you do have that cliffhanger of him going to Italy to make pasta, but. Um, I think like Stranger Things, it's almost like the, you have these like tiny little epilogues on the end of these you know Netflix hits that allow it to wrap up, but could potentially set up a second season. And mm. 
in the end, you know, I I hope both of those shows will be great. But uh, if nothing else, I'm thrilled that these creators have gotten the the green light from Netflix to make a second season, and I I really hope the best for them. For sure, I, I completely agree with that. <laughs> As always, thank you everyone for listening to our ramblings. We are Eric Saris and Michael Clancy, Telly Buddies. If you'd like to find out more about our upcoming episodes, please follow us on Twitter and Facebook at TelebuddiesPod and subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss out on the latest episode. You can also follow myself on Twitter at Eric Saris and Michael at Clancy Hi-Hat where you can learn more about our other shows and projects. Original music for our show is composed by Christopher William Palmer and recorded by Key Lime Pie NYC. You can find out more about Chris's music at www.chrispmusic.net. We hope you can tune in to the next episode, which will cover the first three seasons of the Amazon original series, Transparent. So until next time, have a wonderful day. <laughs>